All right, Justin, we're back and we're talking wealth, uh, that ultra high net worth wealth. Last episode, we really tackled some of the big reasons why we focus so much on tax planning within our practice and why it's so applicable to the client. And today, you know, we we left that episode really talking about the translation of that tax planning into our investment portfolio and why that's so important. And so we're going to continue along that train of thought today. We're going to talk a little bit more about, yeah, certainly the tax efficiency of your your portfolio will double down on that a little bit, but also just how do you actually go about constructing a really well thought out financial structure and ultimately the implementation into a an investment portfolio? So maybe just pick it up there for me, Justin, you know, talk a little bit about some of the considerations as we start to think about building this investment plan for some of our ultra high net worth clients. Where do we even start? What's important? Where do we place assets? We start with with the financial structure, like right. you said. And if you listen to the last episode, you heard me say we always like to say you have one net worth, one effective tax rate, and that's a similar similar concept to financial structure, right? We want to optimize those two things in everything that we do. Really, and it, 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 we're going to start with the financial structure because that is that first layer. And financial structure is simply your your net worth, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Often people go to just net worth and, and look at the current value of everything. Well, total financial structure incorporates the future a little bit more than just a, a point in time type measurement. And really the biggest asset that it incorporates is, is human capital or, or unrealized human capital. There is a true value to that. Um, there are other things like social securities and pensions that generally don't show up at, at, on, on a net worth statement. Uh, and for good reason, but thinking about those is important because they're powerful. They're meaningful. Even for the ultra high net worth, there's a pretty uh, substantial value if you if you take that stream of income and bring it back to the present value. But you put all these things together and you get your, we call it your financial stack. You have your, your cash, you have your portfolio, your liquid assets, public stock, public bonds, maybe some uh, illiquid investments, human capital, pension, social security, homes, et cetera, et cetera. That is your f- total financial structure. And starting there is critical because then you you also get a liquidity profile that is very, very important, especially when you start to talk about the ultra high net worth. We'll, we'll get into more of, of around why. But then we know what your, your financial stack looks like and we can compare it to your priorities, to your unique priorities and make sure that there is a an alignment of your assets from a both a liquidity and a risk standpoint with what's truly important to you as an individual do you need to spend money in the short term is it super important that you spend money in the short term or do you have some really long term much more hey if everything works out we want to do xyz type goals and again those are so unique to each and every person but being able to to systematize this and and capture them bring them to a present value compare them to your financial structure is really really powerful really really robust is the term i like to use it just it's a stronger starting place to think about managing wealth yeah i think it's so important because when you start to think about this financial structure and 
really what the purpose of those assets are. I think, you know, Eric, one of our partners, he talks about this a lot, but give money a job, right? And that's kind of the simple way of putting it. But let's say you've got a priority uh, that's 30 years out. You you need to, you know, you want to uh, pay for your newborn's wedding. 30 years might be a little long, but all of us parents hope it's 30 years out. <laughs> uh, but let's say that it's 30 years out. Well, y- you put yourself in a really unique position, right? You don't need that money. Let's, let's assume that you've kind of met your other priorities. You have enough assets to meet your other priorities, but that's 30 years away. So let's go capture what we actually deserve there. We don't need to have liquidity from those investments, from those dollars. And when you invest money privately, you pick up something called a liquidity premium, or you should. This is obviously making everything uh, very simplistic, but you have the opportunity to be compensated for tying up money, which is totally fine because you don't need this for 30 years. So as we start to think about that, and then conversely, like you said, Justin, a lot of times we'll see you know, other families that will come in and maybe they had a big exit and they've, they have a ton of money and so they think, okay, I made my money building a private business. I've exited. Let me continue to reinvest in private businesses. Right. And that can get you into trouble. But I think at the end of the day, what we're, we're saying here is by having that full picture of your financial stack and then aligning that with your priorities allows you to be very specific on what those assets are doing. And it's not like every other shop that's going to come in and say like, well, you sound kind of aggressive. You got a lot of money. Let's go with a 70-30 portfolio, put 70% in in stocks and 30% in bonds. And we'll sprinkle in some, uh, you know, private equity deal that the wirehouse picked up for you. And and there's just very little strategy to it. We see it all the time, right? Yeah. But not only is there very little strategy to it, we can, and, and we think very strongly, clearly that, that, looking at it as a, in a total financial structure way is way, way better. There's another layer to what we're talking about or what we've introduced as well. So it even, it gets more specific, more fine tuned. And, and it really dovetails with our last conversation around tax planning, right? Well, so we have your financial structure, we have your priorities. Well, then let's go a la- layer deeper and make sure we're putting not only assets from a, a length of time or a duration standpoint, to match your priorities, but also from a tax efficiency standpoint. So a perfect example, especially in the ultra high net worth arena is municipal bonds. Phenomenal place to to be for shorter term, more conservative or important or essential type priorities where the the general nature of municipal bonds are they're, they're just highly, highly tax efficient. Not every single state it treats them the same way and, and it depends on where you live, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, it's an incredibly tax efficient place for the ultra high net worth to allocate assets to, again, for more your essential, uh, important type things. And again, it goes back to maximizing your after-tax rate of return. It's very easy for somebody to say, oh, the, you know, the, the, this particular bond is yielding X and then forget about the, the tax treatment of that particular bond or where it's held even. And again, just kind of leaving money on the table. So there's more to this. And, and even beyond just using municipals as an example, right? It's this, this concept of asset location. Again, we, we kind of touched on it in the last conversation where we want the most tax efficient assets to be exposed to taxable accounts. If we have the option or the opportunity to put assets that generate, <clears throat> excuse me, higher taxable 
income, current income, you can't avoid it necessarily all the time. We're going to put those in tax deferred accounts or a Roth account where, hey, it's tax free for essentially the rest of, of your life. And, and so thinking through it in a multi-dimensional way goes to optimizing your overall rate of return net worth and minimizing your tax rate. And I think the other thing that I think hopefully people are starting to realize is we haven't brought up a, a stock picking strategy yet. Yeah. We haven't picked, you know, started to bring up that we have some keen insight on the public markets or, or anything like that. And that's because it frankly just doesn't matter. Uh, if that's what you're being sold, especially as an ultra high net worth person, they're definitely selling you a bag of goods. <laughs> uh, you know, really where the, the value in planning on an investment portfolio comes from is this planning aspect, right? It's, putting the right financial structure in place, making sure that you're getting the full return that you deserve from market access, you know, when you do need liquidity. And then flipping over to the illiquid side, I had mentioned this, hopefully you're getting an illiquid premium. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, but it all turns to access, right? And so I do want to spend a couple minutes there, at least, Justin, talking about, you know, once you find yourself in this position and you have the ability, not everything's created equal on this private side, right? It's so much access that's going to drive your return, your risk profile, you getting what you deserve, and you're going to be inundated with all kinds of different opportunities. So maybe spend a couple seconds here, Justin, just talking about if I'm this ultra high net worth family, I've got all my priorities dialed in. I can take some illiquidity risk here. You know, should I just be picking the, the product off the platform? Uh, should I be involved in pre-IPO stuff? You know, how do you how do we think about the private side and and actually helping families get what they deserve on this side? Yeah. I mean, short answer is let's go to the data first and foremost. And and I also, before I go there, I want to hit on what you said earlier around the liquidity or illiquidity planning as well, right? We're talking about a hypothetical example where we've sat down, we're like, yes, you you deserve some illiquidity, you can get exposure. It's really important to think about that illiquidity or liquidity planning. We've seen it, like you said, time and time again, where the illiquid nature of someone's financial stack, they have plenty of wealth, but it doesn't actually line up with what they want to do. And so there's a there's a planning opportunity that's been missed in the past, and we're trying to correct it. But uh, to your question specifically around the private market side, we talk about this a lot. We, we go to the data. We are a data-driven organization. And in the private markets, the, the general thesis is completely different than what exists or what we have in the uh, public market side. We don't pick uh, active managers. We don't pick individual stocks because the data just doesn't support it. You alluded to it on the private side, the data does support some form uh, of what you would call active management. Now, it doesn't support just blindly going and taking any any fund or uh, product off the shelf that is a venture capital fund or a private equity fund. It's a lot more nuanced. The top tier managers in venture, we love that space quite a bit, is the best performing asset class in general, the best performing managers tend to outperform persistently. That's great. But getting access is critical. Building that network, it's such a relationship game. And building that network takes time. It takes the right value add relationships or opportunities. And so uh, those are all things to think about. Just because there's a big check that can be written doesn't automatically grant access. It's it's very, very, uh, like I said, much, very much a relationship game. So that's one, one way to think about it. And then 
also the dispersions of return, right? You can really get hurt trying to go down this path. It's not just this, hey, this is a great asset class. It's the highest performing. I think we can get access to it. If you strike out, let's just say, you're going to likely end up with worse returns than you could have very easily had in a tax efficient, low cost way in the public markets. And so really being cautious and, and having the, the background, the understanding, the relationships within in the venture capital and private equity space, it just, it really, really matters. It, and what's happening in this industry, just this could be a full podcast on its, on its own, is like there's a lot of, of product and platforms that are being created just to, to provide a little bit more access to the private markets. It's great because the private markets are a, a phenomenal place to deploy capital. There is such a substantial number of opportunities. We, I think we've hit on in this podcast. I mean, something like 90 plus percent of companies are, are privately held businesses. So there's a big opportunity set there. However, all the data still rings true and just, just deploying money in the private markets because access is now easier. You know, I, I worry about that. Um, it's good that access is easier, but it's also, I think, potentially uh, uh, going to hurt people, right, at the end of the day, which often happens within our industry, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to, to first principles, right? Running businesses is hard. Anybody that's ran a business or started a business knows that it's very, very difficult. And to stay in business and to generate returns is even more difficult, right? And so as you're evaluating these opportunities, you need to make sure that you know you're you're at least putting your money where it has the opportunity to reward you for that type of risk and there are people that are really successful at doing those things and then when times like we've gone through recently happen you know markets have been phenomenal especially in the private side money has flown in like crazy it becomes a lot more difficult sure during that period of time you know it's kind of the monkey throwing the dartboard at the dartboard a lot of people super successful you got to go through a period of difficulty that a lot of times washes those things out. So you want to just be really careful and make sure you have the access to the to the right managers, the right people that are in these different spaces. And like you said, Justin, that takes time. It takes a lot of intention. Uh, we've certainly learned it. We've been spending spent over a decade developing these relationships. We've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and it it just really does matter where you go on this private side. But if you have the opportunity, it can be pretty darn rewarding. So hopefully we gave you some nuggets to think about as a family, how you're thinking about your investment portfolio. We want to hear more from you. As always, we'd love to tackle some more of this. You can shoot us a text at 602-704-5574. And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.